The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with your host, Gail Doby and Aaron Weir, co-founders of Gail Doby Coaching and Consulting. Today, we are talking to Joshua Kirk about how improv can help your business. Joshua's work in improv has been touching lives since 1995. Nationally known for providing innovative improv experiences and workshops, Joshua has transformed corporate cultures, church communities, and school programs. His philosophy explores using improv to guide others toward creating a group mind through the art of connecting. His work helps participants discover the connection between improv, each other, and life. Well, Joshua, it's great to have you on this interview today. Aaron and I have been so excited about having you because we've had so much fun with you in the past. And with your Improv Leap, you have been so helpful for our company, bringing in some humor and communication with our team. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Improv Leap and what you actually do? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, Gail, so much for having uh, me and Improv Leap on the show today. And hello, Aaron. Hey, Good hey. to see you as well, or hear you, I should say. Um, <laughs> yeah, Improv Leap is a very special company that helps teams and individuals connect and communicate more effectively. We're able to kind of help break down the barriers that keep people from working together and make more um, flexible, positive-focused teams that listen more closely and get to their uh, end goal together instead of as individuals. Well, I know we've been actually talking a lot about on our team adaptability. We've had to pivot so many different times in the last several weeks. And, you know, how do you help teach flexibility on teams and really encourage that? That's a great question. Flexibility is definitely one of the main tenets that we connect with and guide groups towards understanding a a deeper level, a personal level, as well as a team level, kind of that... um, We like to call it acceptance during dissonance. And if there has ever been a time of uh, uh, more dissonance than the last few months, I am not aware of one. There's been a lot of challenge recently in accepting exactly what's going on and figuring out a way to manage such a dynamic change in our social, personal, and business lives. So to answer your question, the way that we help people discover that flexibility is to discover a flow state and then continue to strive to get there together as a team during the unexpected. We do that through tools such as Yes And. If you've ever taken an improv class or familiar with improv, you know that Yes And is one of the central tenets of improv itself. It's one of the core principles that we teach. And Yes And is simply saying yes to whatever is. It doesn't mean that you have to personally agree with it, by the way. Oftentimes, it's a question I get often is like, well, I want to say no because I don't agree with it. And I'm like, yeah, I totally agree that maybe that's not the direction that we want to go. Like, hey, we should spend a million dollars on uh, koosh balls. And you're like, that's probably not going to be the end result uh, idea that we're going to come up with as a team. But that's not the point at that moment. The point at that moment is to say yes and agree that what is there is there. So, hey, my coworker wants to spend a million dollars on koosh balls. Uh, yeah, that is an idea. And is the next step. And that and is taking whatever we are given and finding a way to 
I, I wish I could show you. I talk with my hands here, and I wish I could show you. I'm uh, I'm uh, rolling my hands like I'm making a giant ball. So we receive something, and we allow it to be, and then we push it back out. The way that I oftentimes explain this in a classroom or a workshop is I always say, hey, do you remember, remember that Kung Fu master? In every Kung Fu show, movie ever, like Bruce Lee movie, there's always like that, that old uh, Kung Fu master with a long, long mustache. Uh, and there's the young Kung Fu guy who's like, wah, 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 wah! Um, and he's going crazy. And the Kung Fu master is just patient and still. And then who wins the fight between those two? That's a real hmm. question. Who do you think? <laughs> <laughs> the patient one. Yeah. Aaron, who do you think wins? Well, I was going to say the guy with the long hair. <laughs> yeah, the guy with the long mustache. That's what I focused on. It wasn't the patient. Mustache. Yeah, the long mustache. If you have a long mustache, you have patience. There's no doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, individual who has control within is able to receive whatever is headed their direction. So the young Kung Fu guy is kicking and punching, and he's working super hard. But if you look at the, the old Kung Fu master... He's using the least amount of energy and deflecting everything. And then usually he'll take the move that comes at him and he turns it around like in some sort of cool judo move. And he uses the energy from the other person in, in essence against them. And the concept of yes and is I will take in whatever is coming at me and I won't fight it. I'm not going to battle against it because it's, it creates a no-no situation. Right now I'm putting my fists against each other and rubbing them knuckle to knuckle. It creates a no win situation and everybody loses. And of course we don't want that in any context, relationships, business, anyway. So we want to take what's coming at us or maybe given to us, depending on the dynamic. And we're going to do that Kung Fu move where we agree with it. We hold it and then we send it out in another direction, but we've changed the trajectory of it by being a part of it in that moment. And that can apply. Let me apply that to our present moment, instead of it just being this like, oh, wise one, yes, thank you for sharing your focused young <laughs> locus uh, uh, wisdom. We can apply that to today by saying, hey, no matter how much you want to battle and push back against COVID and the world around us and how different people are interacting with their fears and their, and their experience of this time right now, and many legitimate fears, as well as the media is also quite hyped, and we can look at it many different ways, so I don't want to get into that. But none of it matters. What matters is what's headed towards me. I have a choice of how I interact with it, how I deal with it. And as soon as we realize that we have choice, now we have freedom. When you don't realize that you have freedom in that moment of choice, that's when choices, fear-based choices are made. And let me tell you, one of the most scary situations, and there's studies of people show huge percentages, what's the most scariest situation you could be in? like up in the 80s or 90s, people talk about being on stage in front of a lot of people, that, that fear of, of uh, being in, in front of large groups having to speak. So that fear of being on stage is exactly the bullseye of improv and improv leap. Because for those listeners who aren't familiar with improv, you get two people. So Gail and Aaron walk out on stage and all of you are in the audience and you've paid money to, to come to the show good money. And you're like, make me laugh, Gail and Aaron. And <laughs> Gail and Aaron don't have a script. They don't know what's going to happen next. They don't know what characters they're going to play. They don't know where those characters are going to be. And they don't know what's going to happen between them. They have a completely blank slate. Now, would that be intimidating? 
Uh, yeah. I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredibly intimidating for the vast majority of the population. It would send people into a panic attack. And these principles of improv leap allow improvisers, as well as businesses, corporations, companies, teams, it all boils down to teams. It allows us to navigate through the unknown with grace and fluidity. And there's, there's about six principles and practices that allow us to do that. And Aaron, you talked about flexibility and that yes, and that's one of the core main concepts that allow the two of you to walk on the stage with absolutely nothing, ask for one suggestion, and then you're going to make all of us laugh for 30 minutes. And we're going to be like, ah, I'm so glad I bought this ticket. I'm coming back for an encore performance next week. So how do you use the active listening along with the other pieces of this? Yeah, listening is one of the most crucial tenets of improv. And I think of life, really. I mean, the the older I get, the more I realize I really should listen more and talk less. Listening allows me to fully hear the other person. And if we go back to yes and, the concept that we talked about earlier, how do I know what I'm truly saying yes to if I'm busy thinking in my mind of what my and is going to be? Right? We've heard of, uh, of active listening before. We've heard of uh, listening to understand versus listening to hear or listening to just, would you finish talking so that I can get to the thing that I want to say? Um, <laughs> those type of concepts, all of us are familiar with because we all do it, whether we want to or not. And I will say all, that is an is overarching statement because I, I think it's a part of being human that we are stuck in our own mind. And what Improv Leap does is it allows us to try to get into the mind of our scene partner. Improv is all about making our scene partner look good. And if we want to make our scene partner look good, it's all about the other person. Then it means that I have to listen very, very closely to every word that you say when we're on stage. Because if I don't, I'm going to miss that one little cue that you might give me. And maybe it's in your, your inflection or your word choice or when you give eye contact to me on stage. If I'm listening that actively, there is innumerable resources available to me as an actor to react and respond to what you actually said versus me coming up with my own idea and we're going to do what I want to do and I'm just going to drag you along. And let's be honest, who would you rather play with? Somebody who's like desperately listening to your every word so they can make you look good or somebody who's like, come on, let's go play my idea. I'm going to drag you over to this uh, Ferris wheel and make you puke. You're like, is that who you want to play with? (laughs) Probably not. So if I want to be an excellent teammate to you, listening very closely and waiting for your full idea to be put out on the table before I respond to it is not only going to set me up to win, it's going to set you up to win, and we're going to end up at a different location as a team because of my patience and my listening. So are there some tools that you put into your client's tool ball as far as ways to have that top of mind to be an active listener? Some people are just naturally great active listeners. Like they're just good listeners. But, you know, I think a lot of times in business, especially we can get so bogged down with the details in our head of like, I just got out of this meeting and I'm going into that meeting and I've got this deadline going on and I've got this communication and then there's this problem. And it's like, how do you kind of reset yourself when you're going into a conversation, whether it's a personal conversation or a business conversation, 
to make sure that you are, you're, you're truly all there. Like you're being an active listener. Yeah. Well, there were some, there were some great things in, there was like three different things that I thought of, which of course I'm not supposed to do. I'm already not taking my own, <laughs> I'm not taking my own uh, advice. I thought of three different responses. <laughs> well, and just as you know, as I was saying that, I'm like, I need to stop and breathe for a moment so that he doesn't make fun of how I'm asking this question. <laughs> I'm definitely, I would never make fun of you because that would not be setting you up to, uh, to look good. The first thing I want to respond to that you said is, uh, is some people are just naturally good at it. This is a skill. Listening is literally a skill that I can practice. I can choose to become better at it. Just like if I was practicing a golf swing or swinging a bat, you know, how do I get better at those hard skills? By doing them over and over and over. And then it'll make me better at these soft skills, knowing my timing, knowing what, when I, I'm making all kinds of sports references. I'm wondering if that works for our, our listeners. I was going to say the, the quarterback is really good at throwing the ball, but knowing when to throw the ball and when not to throw the ball is, is a soft skill. So listening is similar. There's a hard skill that I can work on of keeping my mouth quiet, keeping my mouth closed, and trying to use my mind to listen to the other person. I might repeat some of the things that they say in my mind to truly hear. I might ask questions to clarify and help, not interrupt. Sometimes, if I'm having a really difficult time, by the way, with someone who I really want to listen to, I will literally get out a piece of paper and write things down that they say so it helps me slow everything down and show the other person that I'm truly, fully engaged with them and I really want to hear what they have to say. And that usually makes the other person feel like, wow, Joshua's like really listening to me because he's writing everything down. It also slows things down. So if you ever have like a really intense conversation that you want to make sure they know that you're listening, it's a great tool. Another thing that you asked, like how do I switch? How do I transition? I have it just really intense meeting conversation. I'm kind of stressed. And then I move immediately into another meeting. How can improv help me make that transition? In improv, we don't usually do just one scene. Sometimes you can do what's called a mono scene, which is one scene that lasts 30 minutes long. That's a very unique skill set. Usually they last about three minutes. And then there's something called an edit where the improvisers will begin a completely new scene with new characters, new location, new plot for the two characters. And you have to start from zero again. And so it's abrupt. And in order to do that, we have to not let anything from the last scene make its way into the new scene unless we're intending on doing that on purpose. If you let go and shake it all off and move on, which means I have to have a very high level of focus on the present tense. This is kind of the, the gold nugget for your question. I have to be focused on the present tense. And I believe I, I played this game with, with you and your group where I asked everyone to clap when I clap. Did we play that game? Mm-hmm. We yeah. did. Yeah. Classic game. I love it so much. Super simple. And it, I always say that it's the easiest game that we play. And it's also, it turns out to be the most impossible game that we play because I will clap my hands together and everyone has to clap when I clap. But then, of course, I'll mix it up and not clap. And whenever I don't clap, of course, other people clap. And then sometimes I'll clap and they won't clap and so on and so forth. Uh, and it allows us to create a state. Notice uh, earlier I talked about a, a flow state or a state of complete focus on an individual moment. And if I want to truly listen to the person in my second meeting, I have to realize where my focus is. Am I focused on this moment right now with this person? 
Or am I actually still kind of focused on the one, the meeting that just happened that I'm all emotionally engaged and involved in and rigorously like about maybe I need to take a breather. Maybe I need to, need to walk around. Maybe I don't have the ability to put my full focus. And truly, if I want to make my partner look good, my second partner in this next meeting, I need to do that for them. So I might say like, hey, I'll be there in two minutes. I need a breather. And most of the time people are like, cool, yeah, I'd, I want to have you fully engaged. And how this looks when I coach an improv team is I'll have improvisers come in ready to perform that night, but they're actually not ready to perform because they've brought all of the baggage from their day to the, that warm-up room, to the space. So oftentimes when we warm up, one of the first things we do is we kind of shake off the day. So we play uh, Crazy Eights is a warm-up game I'm sure I played with, with your team where we shake our each hand and each foot eight times, then seven, then six, and five, and so on. Mm-hmm. That gets us into the present tense, into our body, and into the now. So whether you take deep breaths to get into the now, you shake your body, count to 10, whatever your tool is, your modality to, to find yourself back into the present moment, that's what, you need, that's what we need to do so I can be fully engaged with that next partner so I can truly hear them without having the voices in my own mind distracting my focus from my new scene partner. You know what I love about that is that you said something that really resonated with me, and that is that you aren't focusing on yourself, you're focusing on the other person and focusing on making them successful. So that just completely shifts things. And I think for a lot of us, if we're working all day and we go from thing to thing, we can get very wrapped up in that previous thought and that previous meeting. And if you just get that in your head, I can see how that would really help to focus on making that other person really do well in that meeting. Yeah, Gail, that's a great insight. And it's definitely one of the central tenets of improv and what Improv Leap desires to share with every group that we work with. Being others focused, sometimes we call it outside awareness, I, I take my awareness because I can actually choose that and I choose to turn it outside. Most of us throughout our day, we're focused on ourselves and what happened to me and how I feel about that and what I want to do and so on and so forth, as opposed to moving that awareness of the moment and putting it outside on others. So I want to have an other's mindset. And that's what yes and uh, one of the main concepts of yes and is, is I have to be focused on you to truly understand what's happening so that I know how to and what's happening. Because if I don't, it's going to turn into a yes, but. That is one of the concepts I wish I could allow more of the the teams that I work with to understand that yes, and is not yes, but I want to do this. It's a yes, and let me roll with your idea. So if I I move uh, back to that crazy, I try to come up with the craziest idea. Like somebody wants to spend a million dollars on koosh balls or whatever, stress balls. I'm like, yes, and that's a really dumb idea. Now, (laughs) what what I actually just did was say, yes, you said that, but that's a really dumb idea. That's what I actually said. I actually said no in a really creative way. (laughs) However, it's not truly a yes and. And this usually, man, it was a bummer I don't get to get into this concept with groups because usually it's it's a day two concept where we can really unpack yes and in greater detail. Aaron, I think you asked earlier if there's one thing I could change. One thing I ask people to do that's an immediate tool, I ask my groups as they leave, like, hey, 
this week, notice when you say the word but, U-T, and see if you actually mean and. I've noticed as I started paying attention to myself as well as people that I teach, oftentimes we use the word but, which is a word that negates everything that came before and gives a new idea. When in actuality, the people actually mean and, so they want to accept what they just received. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And here's another idea. So let me take that into a context. And by the way, I think we, when I tried to do that in my personal life, I was shocked at how many times I had to restate the sentence that I just said and say, and. So I challenge everyone, all of your listeners this week, catch yourself when you say the word but and see if you actually meant and. If you meant and, you're like, hey, I didn't mean to negate everything. Like, you did a great job. But right, you can feel like, oh, I didn't actually do a great job. <laughs> actually, what I meant to say was you did a great job. And here are some ways that we can continue to get better. Right? Wow. That's, isn't that easier to take constructive criticism if someone says simply changing the word but to the word and? Do you feel more open to it? I think even in looking at your text messages and your emails and how you're crafting your sentences, it just makes for such a more positive experience to the person that's reading it when you're using and instead of but. Yeah. So let's take it back to my friend who's like, uh, million dollars on koosh balls so that we, uh, you know, we're stressed in the office. We can, we can play with koosh balls. You say, yes, that is definitely an idea. I, this is probably not going to be our final idea. We're probably not going to go with that one. However, if I say no to that person, they're never going to shout out another idea. It'll take them a day before they feel safe to shout out another idea. And yes, this is one of those brainstorming techniques. And more importantly, it's about our personal relationship. It's about making my scene partner look good. Because if it's you and me on stage and there's no safety net and I say no to you, you're not going to want to shout out another creative idea to me, some crazy creative idea. You're going to be like, Joshua doesn't like my ideas. Why should I say any of them? So by me saying yes, even though I'm like, I don't understand that idea, I don't think by the way, we should spend a million dollars on koosh balls. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you and I are working together to create the end result, the end solution. And it's not at this moment, but we're going to get there together. And that's what's important. So I might say, yes, we could spend a billion dollars or a million dollars on koosh balls. And what I really like about what you're saying is that you feel we have a stressful environment. And now I just took this crazy idea that I desperately wanted to say no to, and I found a way to accept it and then open up a dialogue with my teammates to move forward into the unknown and probably actually get closer to the true problem that we are, we're trying to discover. We're trying to unfold, unleash, un, what's the word I'm looking for? Uncover. There's, there's a bigger problem out there. Usually when people, when people say things, there usually is a bigger problem that we actually need to uncover together. And that's what improv is all about. Us getting to those solutions together on the same team. Because in reality, we all either win together or we lose together. There's no me getting there and you never get crossing the finish line. I love that. So tell us a little bit more about how you work with teams on communication. I know there's days that I'm like, I am rocking the communication world. And then there's days that I say to Gail, like, I don't know what went wrong. I don't know if it's a full moon, but nobody's getting what I'm putting down today. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, uh, 
I think we've all had those days. All had those days where it just the fuse box went out and and it's just not we're not running in all cylinders. So communication is kind of a culmination of many of the these principles that I've talked about. If I want to increase the engagement between the two of us so that we communicate more clearly, the first thing that I probably need to do is listen more actively and more fully to the other person. Oftentimes I have an agenda that I want to get across and that might be derailing the actual opportunity for dialogue to happen. Remaining in the present tense, being fully present with where I am and where the other person is, and then speaking openly, truthfully, honestly, and compassionately. That's really important. And I can't be compassionate and empathetic unless I'm putting myself in the other person's shoes, looking at their perspective, trying to understand them, trying to hear and see what they hear and see, as opposed to what I want to see happen. And that allows me to have that one focus that we were talking about earlier, because that one focus is actually the other person, which is tough because I'm like, I've got five minutes. I have these three things that I have to let you know, and I need to get through my notes so that I can check my box so that I know that I'm done with you. But the truth is, if I come into this interaction with that checklist, how do I know that the other person is actually receiving it? So I have to step back and look at what's the more important objective here for the other person to hear and understand and know, or for me to check off my checklist. So oftentimes I found when I am, when I'm in that flustered state, wasn't anything working? It's usually because of where my focus is. If I, here's, a, here's a great thing. If, uh, if I'm on my phone and I'm outside and I notice I'm getting frustrated and I'm looking down at my phone, I realize I'm looking down and it sounds, it sounds silly, but it's so simple. Simply look up and look around and see what's around me. I go, oh, like there's a bird, there's a tree, there's a, there's a car driving, whatever the thing is, I become more aware of my world around me and it puts me in the present tense and allows me to reconnect with the focus that I want to have, which is my scene partner. And now I can create synergy. Now I can create an ensemble. Now I can build trust and creativity and participation and create a interdependence between the two of us because my focus is on you. When you were talking before we got on the podcast today, you talked about acceptance during dissonance. And I was curious about that because it sounds as if, of course, you're focusing on the other person. And is acceptance a part of that focus and focusing on that other person? Yeah, totally. Because I am focused on what is being sent towards me. And oftentimes we will focus on how I feel or how it affects me. So something negative, something bad happens to me or comes towards me. And if I allow thoughts such as like, this is unfair, or that shouldn't be the way it is, or any of those almost victim mentality statements, and I know I just went far there by stating them that way, because they, it could be very true. Like, no, that is not fair. And no, that shouldn't happen to you. And no, that is bad. And here's the unfortunate thing. It is the moment. It is what is happening right now, good or bad. In fact, here's a kind of, I was going to say trippy. I don't know if I'm going to say, here's a, a trippy concept. In the beginning of improv classes, I'd say there is no good, there is no bad. There is no right, and there is no wrong in the, in the bubble that we're creating in this classroom. 
the reason why there can't be right is because if there's right, then there has to be wrong. And there only is what is. The choices that people put out on stage, they're not good or bad. They're not right or wrong. They just are what is on stage. My reaction to those things creates the good or bad, the right or wrong, the acceptance or the denial. If you say, Joshua, we're in a scene together. This is Gail, everyone. This is to- that's totally what Gail sounds like. <laughs> right. She's like, Joshua, I think we should have a million uh, koosh balls and we'll sell them for a dollar each. If I'm on stage with you and I'm fearful of that idea, I don't have control over that idea, I don't immediately like it, and all of a sudden now I've judged it, I've already said no in my mind before I've started speaking. So I have to take a step back and decide that whatever Gail says, before she says it, I'm going to say yes to it. Just like um, in life. I, uh, I just have to inter- Okay, yeah. go for it. Sorry. Sorry about that. Just like in life. Oh, by the way, this is, great, this is a great moment to write that idea down so you don't forget the question. Yes. So just, just like in life, I may not like the thing that's coming towards me, but I've already decided that I'll accept what is and now comes the moment of my creative power, my creative capability. I choose how to respond and react to it. So Gail says, a million kush balls for a dollar. And I immediately think, ah, but I decide, (laughs) I already decided I'm going to say yes. So I say, yes, Gail's character, whatever character you're playing at that moment. Yes, Tabitha, that's a fantastic idea. And... And now comes my moment of creativity that I can build on top of that idea that scared me at first, that I wasn't certain of, I didn't have control over, and then I realized it's okay. It's okay that I don't have control over your ideas because we have trust and we're going to create something that's outside of me, that's outside of you, and it's going to be a third concept that is this collaborative creativity flow state that we call group mind in improv. And we create that group mind in our teams when we're a well-oiled machine, when people finish each other's sentences and understand and they're super connected. A super connected team is a team that has group mind. It means that they have trust and they're listening actively and they're saying yes to the person, even if they don't go with their idea. Like, that's an interesting idea, uh, Samuel, but we're going, and, oh, there, I just said, but what I meant to say was, and I think we were going to head this direction, et cetera, et cetera. So now I have a, a new tool that I can use to connect with the moment, even if I don't like it, because it's not about me liking or not liking. It's about my reaction. And my reaction is more open and connected and present tense if I'm able to say yes to it. And then I can make a choice not based out of fear. Fear is, I want to control this. I don't like it but it's going to be based out of freedom. I'm going to say, yes, that is what is. And here's how I'm going to react and respond to it. Now I have power on stage. Now I can connect with you, which will make other people want to play with you more. So Aaron, what was your, what was your question? Oh, I was going to say, gosh, Gail, I feel like he's been a fly on the wall during our 7.30 a.m. <laughs> Tuesday meetings because basically how that rolls out. And, it, and we end up having a lovely conversation and we get a ton done and we make a ton of decisions. But usually the scenario is we've gone through the weekend. Gail has either taken a course 
read three books or come up with like seven new ideas. <laughs> um, yeah. I have done whatever I do on the weekend. I'm not sure because it, it never co- really compares to how productive she's been on the weekend. And then I've gone through a Monday and I'm like, okay, people are started on things. This is good. And Tuesday mornings at nine, we have our leadership meeting. So we're always prepping for that. And right out of the gate, she's like, well, I have a few things to talk to you about. And, you know, I, I think that there have been moments where I did have that mindset of like, oh my God, like not again. <laughs> yeah. Like another thing. Right. And man, when I was able to make that shift because she does have great ideas. I just can't do all of them with the team all at once. Right. And she realizes that. And so when I have been able to kind of shift it is like, I'm listening, like I'm here and I, I, I want to hear the ideas, even though we might file that to like 2025 or whenever that may be, <laughs> um, which sometimes she is already in like years from now in her yeah. ideas. Um, yeah. You know, it, it just makes for a much more, more fun conversation and we're actually able to go you know let's let's take that moment like this little piece of this idea and let's go ahead and take that to a leadership team and get that approved so that we can try it out and try that on for size and i've said some pretty big yeses lately (laughs) with gail and you know it's it's opening doors for our entire team we're getting to see people flourish in new ways that we had no idea they were even good at right because we've taken an idea and said yes to it and then added a few ands to it. So, um, yeah, I love that. I love that. In essence, you're saying, yes, Gail, that is an awesome idea and we can do it in 2025. (laughs) That happens more than you think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing that I want to point out in what you said there is it, it sounds like you're saying, Hey, we are a team that we trust that the other person has my best interests in mind. I, I trust that Gail has the best interests in mind for me and for this, this company. She's not just trying to push her agenda. She's trying to push our agenda. And I can see that I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And therefore I can set my ego aside. And now I don't have to be offended by things. I, it's easier for me to say yes And how can we make that work? Okay, we can make that work in 2025 when we get done with this, this, and this. That will be our next step. And now we put our puzzle pieces in a row and we're ready for the next, you know, 10 years. So real quick, before we go into any other conversation, we're already at about 35 minutes. We try to keep these Mm -hmm. like 35 to 40. Um, I would love for you to touch um, on reframing failure just a smidge. And then towards the end, um, we want to leave our listeners with three things that they can take away today that they can implement into their life or their business. And I think you've kind of already outlined them. Um, I wrote down that it would be, I mean, you can come up with whatever you want, but the things that you've said is, you know, this week, notice when you say, but, but you meant, and um, creating solutions together instead of, and making each other look good instead of worrying about yourself and then focusing on the present tense. Yeah. Yeah. Reframing failure. Um, judgment, and and oftentimes when I say judgment, people think uh, other people, me judging other people. It's interesting. Oftentimes, as we play uh, together as a as a team, we do these exercises together. We realize that my self judgment is oftentimes more crippling than other people's judgment of me. So the first thing that we need to do in reframing failure is suspend this crippling judgment that we have, and choose to enthusiastically accept everything. And the way to do that, uh, to 
to take that action from, from fear and move to freedom. Uh, oftentimes we talk about um, dare to fail and go and, and uh, fail, fail forward. And these like great terms that help us try to frame failure in a new way. Cause we usually think frame, failure is like, Oh, I messed up. I'm, a, I'm, I'm no good. And I should just stop. Of course, um, Edison had made how many light bulbs? Like uh, hundreds of light bulbs before he came up with the one that actually worked. And the way to look at that, and it, this is the tool I would love everyone to put in their tool belt. This actually comes from my, my business partner, Erica. She said, everything is a gift. See everything as a gift. When we're on stage performing uh, and an idea is exchanged back and forth between the two improv actors, um, that concept, that idea, that moment, it could even be a glance. It could be a look. It could be a word. It could be how they said the word. All of those things are called a, a gift on stage. And when I'm listening, what I'm listening for is those tiny little gifts. Sometimes the person doesn't even know that they're sending them. And if I see everything as a gift, including the idea that I wasn't ready for, I wasn't expecting, if I see that as a gift, it's going to change my attitude towards the unexpected. And I will have unlimited potential to discover what the next step is going to be for us to create together. Because when I see a world with no mistakes in it, there is no such thing as a mistake. We think of mistakes as something that shut us down. Remember I talked about there being no right or wrong in the improv space? Because if there's wrong, it's going to shut us down. If there's right, then it's like, haha, I'm winning and you're losing. If there are no mistakes, what it creates is a blank slate where there's only opportunity. No matter what the gift is, no matter what the moment, the present tense gives me, I'm now going to see it as an opportunity. Maybe it's an opportunity for a new idea. Maybe it's an opportunity for personal growth. And notice I didn't say but. And it's always going to be moving forward, which if I have an opportunity to choose between receiving something and it makes me step back versus the, receive the same gift, good or bad, doesn't matter, and, I, and it helps me move forward, man, what a powerful mindset that is. It's dynamic. It allows me to grow and change and stay relevant and, and present tense at every moment. If I see everything as a gift, and there's no mistakes, now I can reframe the present tense and I can change my future. I can change my mindset from failure and shutdown to opportunity and forward growth. So if we want to change failure, um, there's, this is one of my favorite topics to do with uh, um, teams and workshops. I ask uh, after playing the, the, the clap when I clap game, we realize that everyone fails. Like it's impossible to not fail. It's an imperfect world. We are going to fail. So it's not about trying to be perfect and not fail. It's about how do I deal with failure when it happens? And that moment that I could go like, oops, this is a mistake. What do I choose to do? Because it's not if it happens, it's when it happens. I'm going to choose to look at it in a new way, which goes back to what I talked about earlier of, I'm going to choose before Gail says her line to me, I'm going to choose that I'm already going to say yes before it happens. And then it opens up new levels of communication between Gail and I, or Gail's character and I, 
to go in new directions that we never expected and never had thought of individually, which is what makes improv such a beautiful art form is everyone goes on the journey together in the moment. The audience, both actors, everyone is living in the present tense and it becomes something that, that blows your mind at the end of a show. Hopefully that's what's supposed to happen. So I can do that same thing in my life by choosing to say yes, that there are no mistakes. I'm just going to say yes to what is. And now I have an opportunity to make new freedom-based choices for myself, for my business, and for my team. Yes, and (laughs) (laughs) to end this today, this has been great. Love it. Why don't you share three great ideas that you want our listeners to take away and apply after they listen to this whole podcast? Oh, that's that's great. How do we boil all of it down? Um, (laughs) You know what? Number one, have fun. Uh, We say that in improv, that's one of the first rules of, uh, of an improv class when you come in or whether it's a workshop or a class, we say, hey, you know, if there's no right or wrong, of how do we know that we're doing well? How do we know that we're, we're, we're excelling? It's if you're having fun. If you're having fun, you're probably doing it right if there was a right. Because if I'm having fun, that means I want to work with you more. I want to do the work that I'm doing more. And we're going to create unique and special things together. So, hey, have fun. And one of the ways to have fun is that concept of letting go, letting go of that judgment, letting go of mistakes, letting go of judging things that are coming at you. And I'm I'm just going to see everything as a gift because I'm going to let go of that control allows me to see everything as a gift. So have fun, let go of that control because in the end you don't have control over everything anyways. So you might as well change your mindset on how I see the world. And the best way to do that is to put my focus on the other. In improv, the other is my scene partner. In your daily life, maybe it's the other is the person you're having a meeting with, the, the person you're trying to have a, make a sale with, the person that you have a service agreement with, whoever the other person is that you're talking to, maybe your, your significant other, that is your, your other for that moment. And that means I need to listen and say yes and and be present with that person right now. So if you do those three things, you just tie together those, those main tenets and concepts that I talked about today, that saying yes and listening, being present, seeing everything as a gift, letting go of control and mistakes and having fun. And let me tell you, if you do those things, you are going to fly on stage and you're going to create wondrous worlds that no one ever thought possible. And you can do that same thing off stage in your business and in your relationships. I look forward to sharing more with, um, with all of you and, and all of your listeners in the future on those topics. Thank you so much, Joshua. It was great having you. Yeah, thank you. To learn more about elevating leadership, engagement, and productivity through Improv Leap with Joshua, check out his website at improvleap.com. 